you're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, so in this episode, you'll be hearing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from past conferences. To sign up for the upcoming Flip My Funnel conference this August in Boston, visit flipmyfunnel.com and use promo code PODCAST for special pricing. This podcast is supported by LinkedIn, Marketo, Terminus, PFL, and BrightFunnel, titanium sponsors of the Flip My Funnel community. Hey, everybody. My name is Emily Wingrove. I head up all the marketing efforts for Social123, and we're a data-as-a-service solution. So we're all trying to be data-driven here, right? So if there is some data justification for to prove that women really are smarter, then maybe women should be paid more. But I think equal is probably best. All right. <laughs> So, hey, everybody. My name is Katie Rogers, and I am the VP of Customer Success at Sales Loft. Um, I would say that if the data backs it up, I'm all for it, but I'll shoot for equal. All right. I'm Tony Bennett. I'm the director of sales at Terminus. We're an account-based marketing company. I probably mostly mirror what you guys have said. I think it totally depends on the merit of the person. So in most cases, yes, women should make more money than men. Um, It depends, though, uh, race, gender, whatever the difference is, like completely on merit, in my opinion. Hi, I'm Catherine Mobley. I'm the CEO and CMO of Weaker Card MasterCard. And being a mother of two boys and knowing what all I do in a day, just the simple hours alone, yes, I think I should be paid more just to run my life. But no, in all seriousness, I got to watch Venus Williams speak one day about her battle of fighting for gender gender equality in the tennis world. And it's all based upon, you know, data-driven facts. And it's the fact that why should two people of equal caliber and equal talent and skill be paid differently? So even if we're not paid more, we should at least be based upon talent and skill alone the same amount. All right. Wow. First question, first response. You're getting applause. That's pretty awesome. All right, so let's talk about, is this the best time to get, like, how are you guys finding a way to get into technology? Like, there's a big conversation around, like, there are women that are not in technology jobs, and there are a lot more technology jobs today. And how did each of you guys find your way in getting into technology? And do you guys think that this is a really good time for women to be in technology? Um, Anybody? Sure, I'll start. I think that there's no time like the now, right? And an opportunity is what you make it. And so when I joined Salesloft, I tweeted at our CEO and said, I want to be your first customer success manager. And that was two and a half years ago. And so, you know, Kyle didn't have a certain persona picked out or, or what he was looking for. He just wanted someone who wanted it. And that was me. And so I made the opportunity and that's what I look for. So I think it's not, you know, is it the right timing? It's do you want it? Yeah. So I started in technology on a DOS-based system and dot matrix printers, so I'm dating myself here. So I've had a little bit of a journey, so to speak, and I had that exact conversation with a very powerful leader the other day, and his exact words to me were, you could not be more perfectly positioned or perfectly poised to A, be a woman in technology, and B, a woman in fintech. It actually took me 20 years to accept the fact that I was a woman in technology because I never wrote a line of code. And that actually came from a discussion of the former CTO of Evernote, who was a female, who point blank looked at me and said, girl, own it. (laughs) Yeah, so I think now is the best time and tomorrow and the next day and the next day will continue to be the best time for women to be in tech and to be successful in tech and in really every industry. But in tech specifically, I think 
And I don't like to classify traits that are male versus female because I don't think it's fair to kind of qualify one way, but I think the average woman does tend to have, like you said at the beginning, more empathy and very natural leadership skills. And especially from my perspective, being in sales, one, it can be an advantage in the sense that I'm often competing in a sales situation against other male sales reps. So it just kind of makes me stand out. But beyond that, I think, again, the average woman has more empathy and can be very sincere and tends to really genuinely want to know the person they're talking to. We tend to be very social creatures. And so I think today, like we talked about this morning, it's the the day of the buyer, the rise of the buyer. Buyers don't want to be sold. They don't want to be aggressively pushed in a direction. They want someone who understands their need and can guide them the right way and who genuinely cares about what's valuable to them. And I think that women do that naturally. And so I would love to see more and more women start to move into tech, but especially into sales. I think most of us are naturally good at it. So I agree with Tony. I think every day that passes is the best day to be a woman in technology. But how I entered the technology world was kind of on accident. And I think that's unfortunate because it really means what that means to me is there was no lure when I was younger. Like there was the yeah. preconceived notion was there is no preconceived notion. What is tech? That's for boys. That's for boys. I'm supposed to do girl things. So I think the problem is starting young. We need to educate young girls about technology. What is it? Let's, let's hear the, the good things about technology and create that lure and draw them in because there is a need. And we've built a system where we're going to need more women in technology. And if we don't start educating the young girls, I don't know how we're going to fill the spots. Yeah, cool. And, and we're going to keep it pretty interactive. Like, so if you have questions, just go stand by the mics up there and then we'll just filter in. It's not till the end or anything like that. So let's come to that point. I think, Katie, you mentioned like you literally tweeted at your CEO and said, hey, this is what I want. Like, man, that's pretty bold, right? And I don't know how many people actually do that kind of stuff. Like, so talk to us about like, you know, just regardless of men or women, like, you know, the action of being very proactive and going to go get what we want. I mean, the reason you guys are in leadership position is not because you're necessarily women, it's because you are really good at what you do, right? I mean, that's really the reason why you guys are running marketing, running customer success, running sales, you know, CEO of a company. There's a reason because you're absolutely fantastic at what you do. So talk to us about leadership, like what it takes to be a leader in today's day and age. Actually, I want to chime in there. I think I've been learning a lot about this myself recently in this leadership position at Terminus. I think something that women can learn from men is to be aggressive, be bold like Katie did in getting the job at sales off, like go after it. I think often as women, we're taught from birth for whatever reason to wait on other people, especially men to kind of guide us in a certain direction. Don't do that. Go after what you want aggressively, be confident. If you have the skills for the job, actually, let me take that back. Oftentimes, men, and Sheryl Sandberg and Lean In talks about this a lot, men go after positions they know they're not qualified for because they know they can do the job. Women often don't do that. So I, again, think that we as women as a whole can learn from men. Go after what you want aggressively. Aim for higher than what you think you can get. And don't take no for an answer. Sometimes it won't work out, but the majority of the time, you'll end up going farther than you thought you would. And I'll say, you know, I came from a five-star corporate background where I was handed a book on how to do my job out of college. And so it was constantly, Katie, be in a box, be in this box. Katie, you're a little outside of the box. We need you to take a few steps back in. And, you know, after three and a half years of that, and I traveled across the U.S. and was very successful, I said, 
part of my mouth, but to hell with that box. I'm creating my own. And literally wrote that to Kyle in my cover letter. I said, for three and a half years, I've been told to be in this box. And it's my time to create that box. And I'd love to be able to do that at Salesloft. And I think it's just, I knew what I was passionate about. And I knew that I didn't want to be in a box. And I had that conviction inside of me and, and said, what do I have to lose? When I realistically think about this, what do I have to lose? I was a 20-something at the time. Things were going well. I mean, I didn't have a lot of money saved. I didn't really have all of that. And it's like, I can't really lose anything. Why not go for it? And everyone in my family thought I was crazy. So, you know, my dad, <laughs> dad was like, you are absolutely nuts. You're making the biggest mistake of your life. And I was like, so be it. You know, I'm going to make something of myself regardless. I'll find another path. Why not try it now? And so I think, you know, it's everyone raised their eyebrows and shook their heads at me. But when you believe it, you got to go for it. And you just got to be willing to take that first step. Going back to the whole process of raising young women to understand what their skill set is for technology. I got to go through a really great exercise with a business coach in the last year where I got to define my superpowers. So I have two sets of superpowers. I have my feminine, normal, you know, empathy, the fact that I'm nurturing. I build really trustful relationships. But one of the best superpowers that I actually have that got me the position I'm currently in is I'm one of the toughest negotiators you'll ever meet because I grew up in the car business. So when it comes to me, that's actually a traditional masculine trait. I mean, in business, it's typically men that are the key negotiators. And so that superpower in and of itself, once I started to kind of negotiate the fact that I have this skill and why not leverage it and what can I do with it, really changed my whole view on what I could do as a woman in business and as a leader. So I think we have to teach young women to assess those skill sets that maybe may not be the fact that it's the most feminine thing or something that's a softer skill. It's maybe whatever their true grit is. And that's something that can leverage them to get into positions that have been more traditionally sought by men. So we talked about how women are more empathetic and more nurturing. And I think those things are all true. But one thing I think that women suffer from more so than men is what we call the imposter syndrome, right? You don't feel like you deserve a seat at the table. I haven't earned this seat at the table. Well, yes, you do. This is my seat at the table. Try to take it away from me. I dare you, right? Like we are conditioned to feel, I think, timid, right? Like we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it, but yeah, we have. And more so than not, I feel like women know that they've earned it, right? I know that I've worked really, really hard, but yet I still find myself sometimes sitting at the, you know, sitting in a management meeting and thinking, oh my God, like I shouldn't be here. What are they going to think when I open my mouth and talk? And that is not okay. Like I should, that, that feeling should never go through my body because I am a strong woman and I'm smart and I'm intelligent and I hustle just like the rest of them. That's awesome. Sorry, go ahead, Katie. I think one moment where I absolutely felt in, in your shoes was when we had our first onsite with our investors when signed with Salesloft. And I remember I was the only female in the, well, we had a, a female investor, but I was the only Salesloft lofter in the room. I was terrified. This is way over my head. What am I doing? What if I say something wrong? And literally kept quiet that entire meeting. And at the end of it, they said, Katie, we really wish we heard from you more. And I was like, oh my God, what did I do? And from that, I mean, I have been pretty bold and and at times, Kyle will say, hey, good over there? And I'm like, yeah, I just had to get that out. You know, yeah. and it, it's one of those where I've, I've learned that lesson. But I think you have to go through that at one point in your career to know you've got to be able to stand up and say something. And you'll know when you're speaking too much because people will start to get the glazed eyes and whatnot. But at least you're heard. And I think that was a real game changer in my first year with the company. Instead of being scared or nervous, it was like, hey, go for it. 
awesome. Isn't this great? Like, you guys enjoying this thing? It's pretty awesome. All right. Let's give a round of applause for these guys. This is pretty awesome. So let's talk about game-changing things. So you heard a lot about like marketing, sales, account-based marketing, account-based selling, account-based uh, data, everything. And what are you guys thinking about? Like how is that relating to your day-to-day job as a sales leader, as a marketing leader, as a customer success leader, as a head of the company? Like, is that resonating? Is there parts of it that makes perfect sense? Are the parts of that feels like shit? Like, this is crazy. Like, love to kind of get your thoughts on like the day and the sessions and the, and the things that resonate to you as leaders. I think it goes even higher. I'm at the C-suite, so my conversations are more of how do you get the CTO and the CMO and whoever's running revenue all to talk and play together in the same pond. And that's been a really interesting conversation. I get a lot of phone calls from other leaders that say, you know, I've got this great sales pipeline. It's, you know, I've got land and wells. They're, you know, 12 to 18 months out, but I really need some smaller fish in my funnel. How do I do this? The first question I always ask is, that's great. You know, obviously your sales team's doing good, but what are you doing for your marketing efforts to support that? And the question I typically get is, oh, I don't have time or I don't have resources for that. So like, you know, I mean, I don't know, we put blog posts out and it's, it's the overarching strategy that sometimes is lacking. I think one of the greatest slides that I saw today is the breakdown of account-based marketing, which is marketing and social selling, which is sales. And you have to bridge that. And there has to be a key person at the C-suite that's going to own it, whether it's your CTO, CMO, or CEO, I don't care. But somebody's got to champion that to integrate it throughout the entire process. So you asked like 10 questions in one. So I'm going to answer the one that I wanted to answer, Sure. which is the thing to me that's exciting about this panel is the fact that we all come from different kind of backgrounds and disciplines. So I think it was John Miller who first said it in an article and he so captured what I was thinking, but couldn't articulate, which is that account-based marketing as a misnomer, it's really not about marketing. It's about the entire organization, especially sales and marketing, but also product and customer success. Um, all working together to attract and bring on and keep happy the right accounts. So it starts from product and development and developing the right types of features and product functionality for your target audience, which surprisingly is not as obvious as it seems. And then sales and marketing should be working together from beginning to definitely once you bring a customer on board to have a consistent message with one strategy to the same list of accounts. And then once they cross that line, however that handoff process is to customer success, the message has to continue to be consistent in retaining those customers and upsell, cross-sell lanes and expand whatever the next step is. So I think it's really this ABM movement is really a bigger movement of all of these departments in a, in a company, I guess, account-based everything, coming together to truly have one strategy. If each of our teams is working completely in a silo and we don't have executive support, it's just not going to work. We're seeing that at Terminus as a startup. Um, it's exciting in some ways to be small because uh, communication is, is easier since there are fewer of us, but it also gets easy very quickly for each of us to operate in a silo. And we're finding that the more that we communicate, the happier our customers are. You hit the nail on the head for me. I'm so happy that we're not all marketers, as much as, as, much as I love marketers. I am so glad that we're not all marketers sitting up here. So I was a collegiate athlete. So that team mentality is hardwired into me. So when I, you know, this whole ABM movement, honestly, and no offense, but the ABM, the acronym, it's not, it's not right because it's not just marketing. It is not. I cannot 
be a successful marketer without my sales team and without my customer success team. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous to think that I could run a marketing campaign and see a direct result from that just from my pure marketing efforts. Like, no way. No way. So I, I absolutely love the fact that we all come from different functional areas. I love it. I would say from a customer success standpoint, account-based, whatever you want to call it, is a dream come true. We're targeting the right accounts. You know, we know that we're going to have long-term success. I know that if we go after company X, Y, and Z, I can deliver post-sale for them. And so we're not, you know, just going out and, and trying to target the masses anymore. We're really being specific and, and, and quite focused. And, and when that happens, oh man, it's a customer's delight. That's awesome. Great. So uh, we have a question up here. So go for it. My question is when you have a, like get a critique that is something probably related to the fact that you're a woman, like you negotiate too hard or you're too assertive or something like that. And it's from someone important. How do you respond? Because you can't just be like, what? That's sexist. Like, you know, what is like the actual way that you respond when this happens? Are you saying if it comes from a male or a woman? Like uh, either, really. Either. I call those courageous conversations. And um, nine times out of 10, if they're giving you the right feedback, I think you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt and say, OK, you know, I've been told throughout my whole career, Sangam knows this. I'm blunt. I'm as transparent as you can get it. I am not going to sugarcoat things. I'm going to tell you how it is. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. And I've been critiqued in business on how to deliver that a little bit better and a little bit more polished. And that's taken a long time. But I remember being a hothead at 26 and being shoved into an office and told, sit down and shut up. That was totally out of line and you shouldn't have done that. So I think it differs in different scenarios. I used to have a team of young women that had a cultural difference from different countries. And three of them were very catty. And one of them was the one that was kind of the odd man out. And so I would listen to them over and over, complain and complain. And they were so used to having a manager come in and letting them have, for lack of a better word, a bitch session. And so I brought them into my office and I said, what is the problem? They're like, you know, she's direct. She's not this, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, get it out. And then I finally said, all right, now build me a plan on how to fix it. And they went, what? And I said, seriously, build me a plan on how to fix it. You got 24 hours turn it around, and then present it to her. And that was the first time that someone had listened to them critique somebody. But as their manager, I asked them for a solution on how to fix it. And it worked. They all four started working together, and they quit wasting my client's time. Yeah. And I think it depends on who it is. My approach is to, and I recently truly felt empowered to do this where I would not have a little bit earlier in my career. If it's someone that you have some level of trust and rapport with, especially if it's like a direct manager or someone in your own company, I would be transparent. I think there's a balance of doing it in a respectful way, but also like not sugarcoating it and say, with all due respect, like I can take criticism. Thank you for, for sharing that. But I'm not sure that your, your motivation is in the right place here. And I would disagree with them where I would say, respectfully, I want you to think about if, if that criticism is really fair that you, you've said about me. Is it because... I'm a woman. Is it because of something in particular? And I know that sometimes there's a bad stigma of saying, well, it's because I'm a woman. So I think you have to be careful to really think about the situation before you chime in. But I also think things are never going to change until we say something about it. And so if you don't call out people when they treat you differently, nothing's going to change. You know, it's funny. I take that to heart, even to like catcalling on the street. Whenever someone like makes an inappropriate comment to me, that's a male, it's completely unwork related. 
<laughs> I'll say something like, that's completely inappropriate. Like, would you say that to like your wife? Like, would you make comments like that to your daughter, your sister? And then people are like, whoa, you just really like made this uncomfortable for me. But if we don't call out the situation, it's not going to change. So I'd say there's a business appropriate way to do that. And it depends on the relationship you have with that person. But if you're in a kind of a circle of trust with, I would kind of call them out. So I'm never going to be the first one to pull the gender card. So if I, and this has happened before, like if I feel like I'm getting a piece of criticism that is related to me being a woman, then I'm going to make them say what it is I think they're trying to say. So I ask for clarification, break it down. Let's get granular. What do you really mean? What are you trying to say here? And even when you've got the point, keep asking, what do you mean? Why? Go on, go on until you get out of them what you think they're trying to say. Now, if they're really not coming at you with a gender... Uh, gender specific criticism, then maybe you look silly, but, but yeah, I would certainly question it very heavily. Just dig for information. I mean, I'm super fortunate. I know you are as well, but we work for amazing companies and there's a lot of transparency. And so if someone has something to say more often than not, they'll just say it to me, you know, and, and really nothing's come up ever like from a woman's standpoint. Cause I think they know I'd like dagger them with my eyes at the moment they said it. But if it comes up and it makes you uncomfortable, like one, think about why it's making you uncomfortable. Is it accurate or is it just, you know, that there, you have that feeling, but explore what that is. And then I have a 24 hour rule, like address it or forget it. And so if you're not going to, you know, act on it and I tend to be emotional in the moment. So if someone says something and it, it strikes a chord, I have worked on not instantly reacting or, you know, putting on a, a face. So that way I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm, I'm listening knowing that in the back of my head, I'm quite upset and I've worked on that. But at the same time, if it really, you know, if I go home and I'm still thinking about it, I figure out a way to address it. And so sometimes in the moment, not the best reaction because it's raw. But if you can take a few hours to step back, think about it and say, were they questioning my integrity, who I am as a person, or were they really trying to help and just set it in the wrong way? That happens. And so just try to figure out, you know, where that person was coming from, put yourself in their shoes. And then if you, you know, you feel like it was wrong, address it. Cool. Thank you. All right, so we need to kind of wrap it up given the time, but now we, we have like one more question and let you guys, and obviously you guys will be here, there'll be drinks, there's a big announcement that we need to do right after this. But like, give the last question. All right, ladies, so here's a fun one. As we look to mentor the next crop of women in tech who are either still in high school or college or early in their careers, what are the skill sets that we need to make sure that they are matured in or nurture them in? How to communicate, for one. I look at the gender discussion in three verticals, gender, geographics, and generational. And those conversations that you have with a man that's 55 versus a man that's 36 tends to be different. I actually, when I became CMO and then became CEO, I got a lot of, oh, you're a first-time C-level executive. And I finally reached out to a handful of people and said, it's not that I'm a first-time C-level executive, it's that I'm a woman for the first time as a C-level executive. And that's when we really started having that discussion of the fact that it's viewed differently by generations in geography. And I think you have to teach people how to communicate in different venues and understand that and to have true transparency that if they really do want to have a skill set or want to fight for something or, or work in a specific vertical, I work in FinTech. I mean, you can't, it's 22 men for every woman. Just, you know, go for it and really you know, fight for what you believe in and fight for what you want and learn the knowledge, learn the acronyms, the language, the lingo, so you can actually sound educated and know what you're talking about because it is a tough, it's a tough battle to have. But if you have those 
conversations and you know who you're speaking to and know your audience, I think you can get a lot farther. I think we need to define technology for young women, because when you when I hear the word technology, I mean, what does that really mean? Right. That is huge. That encompasses so many things. So and when I was young and no one ever talked to me about being in technology, technology has always been this big, huge thing. Right. I don't know. It's for boys. I have no idea. But if, if someone were to have taught me like, no, technology is a huge, huge it encompasses everything and, and broke it up for me and taught me like, okay, no, there's this area where you can do coding and then you can actually be a marketer in technology. You don't have to be a technologist. So we could better define technology for young girls and introduce them to all of those areas. I think we'd be a lot better off. I think a lot of the way to, aside from what you're sharing, which is educating um, our young people, a lot of the way to do that is by setting the example. And that's for both women and men. So I think for women, it's all of us in this room and our generation taking charge, being bold, not letting it be a thing. I know sometimes I've gone into situations thinking that I was going to have a disadvantage because I was a woman. And that's not something I should ever even think about or consider. I should always move forward as if I'm a person and I'm you know, going for this particular opportunity, being aware that there's a potential for that. But I think we as women need to own the time that we're in now and not use any excuses to hold us back from us really, you know, running forward. And then I think for men, I think the average men isn't against women. I think most of us want everyone to succeed. Um, But I think men can also do more things to help encourage the women around them. So often women are a little more afraid to speak up, especially those young in their career. So, you know, something that I've admired in Sangram is we have a lot of women, younger women on our marketing team, he's always really encouraged them or even pressed them to speak up. So if you're someone who's not speaking up, you can't really leave that meeting or leave that situation without him kind of forcing you to. So I think, you know, men can also help in that by encouraging the women around them, giving them a forum and almost making them come have a seat at the table. And so I guess final thoughts there when it comes to you know, qualities and making sure we're on point. Communication, absolutely. If you can effectively communicate, you can pretty much do anything in my mind. But I think confidence, you know, when it comes down to it, I don't know if anyone's seen the hashtag like a girl and some of the campaigns that have come on TV, but they show young females, and I mean like under probably 12 years of age. And when they say, show us how, you know, like a girl like runs and they're running fierce, man, they're booking it for the finish line. And then you have a 30, 40-year-old woman do that, or even a 20-something do that, and they're like, oh, you know, that. And so it's taking that, that energy and that confidence that our young, young, young females have and just driving that through. And they're, they're the game changers. They're the future generation. And so for me, communication and that confidence and just taking that to the next level. I have one more comment. So we do have to empower the young women, but we have to address the men's sector too. I'm raising a 12- and a 9-year-old boy both boys. And one of my proudest moments was this past January when my 12-year-old had to do I have a dream job speech. And he came to me and he said, I want to write about you. And I'm like, why do you want to write about me? He said, because you're what I want to be when I grow up. Because you're a powerful person in business. You love your job, but you're still a great mom. And I want to be like that. And I think we have to teach young men to support women, to be powerful role models, and to be powerful leaders. And we have to raise a different generation of the way men think as much as the young girls do. So I'll wrap up. I was honestly just going to go in exactly the same direction that Catherine, because I have a young daughter and 
when I think about like the education, like to answer Lauren's question, you know, it's I don't think there's anything wrong, as Tony said, or anything to educate women. I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen on the men's side about like what it brings. As Tony mentioned, like we're blessed at Terminus that we have, you know, I think customer success, marketing, sales, every single department actually has a the women leader. And it's not by design. It is by the fact that we are trying to hire absolutely the best people to be there. So I think as men, if we can learn a lot more, I think it would be good. So huge round of applause for the ladies up here. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.